0: Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation.
1: We're on air with Mark DeVries here at the Lee University, uh, campus and the Collective Scope Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Mark.
2: Thank you. Great to be with y'all.
1: Great. Mark is a youth ministry expert. Rob, did you do any youth ministry time? We had a few years in youth ministry, I think together. It was, uh, some of it was colliding, but it was fun times. Fun times. I spent a lot of times <laughs> in youth ministry, and then I got out of it because I was no longer young. So, um, Mark, what I want to know, really, if, as a youth ministry guy, a former youth ministry guy, is the current context of youth ministry, is it helping develop long-term believers in Christ, or, or where are we at with that?
2: Oh, man. That, is, that has been the question, Right. Because um, we really are working with a framework, we're working with a model for youth ministry that was framed around the 1970s. And man, it worked. It was so I mean, that's when I started. So <laughs> you, know, you throw out some hamburgers and a pizza and boom, it just works. and uh, and so because of that, um, yeah, I mean, anytime you get adults, godly adults around teenagers, faith formation is going to happen. And the question is, is our delivery system optimized relative to our, you know, our sort of our current, our current culture and where, where kids are. And I think we all agree, man, we got to do some things differently. It's just, it's just a wildly different place than, than any of us did youth ministry. in.
0: Yeah. Right. So in, in kind of in that vein, then you have a book coming out in August, Uh, sustainable young adult ministry, which is really um, sort of a tie into this conversation are our formation practices actually working. So um, why write this book?
2: Well, you know, it's funny how youth eventually are not youth anymore, right? (laughs) It's It's funny how that
1: happens. Yeah.
2: Amazing. And, and if we want to, if our, I mean, I think Jeff, you're an initial question is exactly the question. That's the fundamental question. Are we building lifelong disciples? Are we just giving kids sort of this orphaning, very highly energized orphaning community that they graduate from, just from their high school prom? They don't go back, right? Um, uh, So we felt like if we're going to be faithful in this journey toward long-term discipleship, the next step of that is to is to really focus on young adults. So my 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 co-author Scott Pontier, um, he actually is a church planter at, planted at now a couple churches, uh, really based in in young adults. And uh, part of what part of what we're seeing too is that the church was was sort of stepping into these knee jerk reactions mm-hmm. of oh I know what we ought to do. Let's just let the youth director add young adult ministry, you know, they're, so in the right. book, we name these few mistakes. Right. Um, and so we just felt like, um, uh, in our work with ministry architects, we're seeing so often churches do the same things over and over again that are not working. And so we felt like, can we just expose, can we just all agree these things are not the way that's going to change the game?
1: Yeah. Okay. Interesting that you, that you say Scott's a church planter building off young adults, the, I don't know if it's a myth or the truth, but in church planting, they've also often said, you can't build or plant a church off young adults because there's no money or they're unfaithful or whatever the, the myth has been or the stereotype. Has Scott found that to be not true or true in the church well, planting part?
2: I think the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that's good news. That's good.
2: You know, I, I, the, the very beginning of the book, as you know, he tells the story of the launch of his first church, which was tremendously successful in terms of engaging young adults. But eventually uh, that church ended up planting another church and the decision was actually made to close that church down. Um, mm. He's now he's now in a second version and we got to go there to worship uh, a few weeks ago. It's an amazingly uh, intergenerational uh, it wasn't just exclusively focused on young adults, but I would venture to guess he's reaching way more young adults by creating this sort of intergenerational community than, uh, than he would have if he just, at least long-term, than just starting out with young adults.
1: So how, how is he bridging, and, and maybe the, you can help us unpack this, this what Dave Kinneman says is discontinuously different generation. How is he bridging that Generation with the older generations in one setting.
2: Well, um, it's it's really interesting. The the folks I don't know if you know the the folks on On Being that's a podcast with Krista Tippett. Mm-hmm. Um, they did this this massive research around key young leaders, and they asked these key young leaders uh, what they what they felt like they needed the most. And one of the things they identified, and this is how I got involved, was they felt like they needed elders in their lives, uh, used very <laughs> loosely, right? But um, particularly spiritual spiritual mentors. And these were not just necessarily spiritual people, uh, but they felt like they needed someone spiritually grounded in their life. I, I do think one of the, one of the things uh, that's really clear about the research Uh, with young adults is that they are not simply looking for a place to gather like with like. Um, They're often looking for, uh, because they're so isolated, we're all generationally isolated. They want to have a place that that they can actually connect with an older generation. Yeah. So I think, you know, in in that
0: conversation, one of the challenges, and I think you obviously allude to this in the book, Are those mistakes that churches are making helping us gain a more intergenerational conversation, look, feel, uh, which strengthens that young adult population? So kind of briefly walk us through what you've kind of identified as those six mistakes, just so our listeners can kind of maybe pick up on some points to kind of go and discover themselves.
2: Oh, so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, well, uh, I just happen to have... I just happen to have this book book in front of me. And uh, well, <laughs> six mistakes. Um, uh, the first mistake we identify is um, the mistake of learning about millennials mm. or learning about young adults. Um, what most churches do is they just start to gather a bunch of information about this generic group of people called millennials or Gen Z or young adults, right? And uh, they can become real experts in understanding all the, all the characteristics about them without ever knowing them. And so what we, what we say for the first thing is, don't, don't go read a book about this. Start, start by building relationships with real life young adults. I mean, if there's one, one characteristic, particularly of millennials, it's that they defy categorization. They they right. sort of defy this definition. And when we study them, we just look for these patterns, and then we we excuse away um, the the things we're doing ineffectively. Um, so that's the first one. Second one is, and I'll let you guys come back and poke around with this. The second one that we see, the second mistake is, and almost every church does this: um, change your worship style. Um, I can't tell you how many. Uh, church basements are populated by twenty two people singing Chris Tomlin songs and ninety percent of those twenty-two people are over sixty years old because the boomers really love it. It's, re- right. <laughs> it's it's really great. And we think, oh, if we just if we just change if we just get an electric guitar here, that's gonna that's gonna do it. And one of the things we've discovered is um, young adults uh, can be pretty um, apathetic when it comes to worship style. Mm. <laughs>
0: they're
2: all over the map. Some really love contemplative. Some love contemporary. Some love traditional. They're they're all over the map. Uh, next one is just adding young adult ministry onto the youth minister's plate. Yeah. Uh, there's some. I don't know if y'all know the book Orbiting the Giant Hairball. Hmm. Uh, But in orbiting the giant hairball, one of the things that that uh, the guy tries to prove is if you want to innovate, don't put the innovation inside the institution. It will swallow it up. You've got to take it out of the. So when you give a youth director, young adult ministry, to add on to their already crazy schedule. They're going to do the things that scream at them, and young adult ministry usually doesn't. So, get a few people involved, but typically it's just not a long-term solution. Uh, the next one is to to try to create a young adult program. Um, I'm saying that's a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Repeat that for the pastors yes, see, in the back. Exactly. <laughs> just say, I mean because what we're when we think young adult program what we're thinking is polished up youth group right let's get a slightly more mature band let's get a slightly more mature speaker and do essentially youth ministry i mean a lot of mega churches essentially it is youth ministry <laughs> it's what we were doing in youth ministry for the last 20 years um and what what we have discovered is young adults really are not interested in being assimilated into the dominant culture of a congregation. (laughs) Like, please come to our meetings. We'll run a nice meeting for you. We will, we will define what the culture of this meeting is and y'all just come, right? Most young adults are not excited about that.
0: Um, right. uh,
2: but what they are excited about, whether they're Christian or not, they're excited about changing the world. They're excited about making a difference in the world. And if instead of planning a young adult program, we say, will you come alongside us and let's find a mission where we can change the world together? That's the place where we think is the entry place. I mean, you guys remember from your Duffy Robbins days of youth oh, ministry. Duffy Robbins. <laughs> remember the funnel? Remember the funnel? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Come level group, the, the grow level and the lead level. And you just bring them down the funnel, right? And the lead level is, is sharing a partnership in ministry. Or really inverting that pyramid. The place where people come in, young adults come in, is right. side by side in mission change in the world. Right. Rather than please come to my meeting and eat my pizza.
1: So, yeah. can I push on that a little bit, Mark? I mean, that's an interesting point. Um, for leaders who are not comfortable putting people in a leadership stance that may or may not know Jesus, how do they navigate that?
2: Well, uh, we're not necessarily talking about um uh a, a spiritual leadership role, but there aren't really spiritual requirements to um passing out water at the border right right uh uh so um yeah, no i i think we keep this keep the spiritual requirements at the at the level of those doing discipleship. But if we want to invite new people in, in the same way that you wouldn't need a spiritual requirement for people eating your pizza, you don't need a spiritual requirement for somebody to come working on a Habitat house with you. Yeah. Now, does the coordinator need to have some level of, 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 you know, alignment with the mission of the, of the congregation and the ministry? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, but no, I, I I think the the key is we're inviting them into a mission that aligns with their own sense of, I want to, I want to make a difference, change the world.
0: Thinking this from a practical perspective, you know, being at Saddleback certainly was one model that I got to experience, but I've also been the senior pastor of, of a church of a less a hundred, less than a hundred people. And so I, I, I'm not in disagreement with inverting the model, but it, I think the challenge for a lot of pastors in leadership, whether it's senior pastors or young adult pastors or youth pastors, whatever the the job description, I think the challenge is how do they actually make that fit in a local church context that makes sense because it seems very ambiguous. It seems very loose ended and, and uncontrolled which um, is not necessarily a great strength we have at the local church level is releasing control. So uh, in that sense, rather than just creating more silos and and the mistakes that we, I, which I agree that we are making, uh, how do we actually maybe implement this at a local church level in a way that is understandable and doable for a church with no staff or a church with four hundred plus staff, like I had at Saddleback?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let, yeah. Let me just give you a little case study that I'm working right now in Nashville. Um, we have a church. It's a uh, before the before the podcast started, we talked about church revitalization. we We have a church that is a was basically a church of twenty five people. Um, the Presbytery is a Presbyterian Church. So the Presbytery invited us to uh, come alongside them to see what we could do. And um, over the span of the last two years, uh, we have implemented this thing called a training hub model mm-hmm. uh, where we have ten young adults, so they have no pastor. Um, I'm sort of the coordinator and I've got a project manager. Um, but the, the, the church has has said, okay, we're going to let these 10 young adults be our leaders. So the, these young adults preach, they do the children's program, they prepare all the worship that we, we take care of the facility, all the things. Um, but instead of putting all that pressure onto a single pastor, who's probably part time, 15 hours a week or so. We're able to spread it out with these young adults. And here's the magic. Even if it doesn't work in revitalizing this church, right? You know, right. I know. <laughs> these kids have had this profound, anchored community of faith where they are cherished and delighted in by these adults. It's absolutely amazing. And they love each other. Right. I get to have an essentially, essentially, a discipling hour every week with them in a staff meeting all we're doing is preparing who's got the bullet and who's standing at that door but in the process we're hearing each other we're knowing you know we're knowing where we're feeling close to our call far away from our call it's it has been a um it's been tremendously energizing for me because at least half of these young adults are kids who are not involved in the church,
1: right? That's amazing.
2: They're, I mean, they're Christians. They'd grown up in youth group, sure. but they hadn't found a place. And so I met one of them. <laughs> she was, <laughs> she was my uh, server at a restaurant, and and she, I just felt like she had such a beautiful personality. And I, so I, I said, you know, I don't know what you're doing, you know, right now when if you're done with school, whatever, but you know, we're doing this thing and. Six weeks later, she had joined the hub, and man, she's there every week. She'd grown up in a great youth group, had really been disconnected from church after leaving high school.
1: Yeah. I mean, Rob and I, we're we're not young. We admit that. We're not old (laughs) either, but I think when we were growing up and learning ministry, there was opportunities on Wednesday night or Sunday night to learn to preach and try some of those things out where the the current church model mark doesn't allow for that so it sounds like what you're doing with this training hub is sort of uh, creating opportunities for young adults to to test the gifts try them out to even even fail which i know they don't want to be generalized but seems to be a, a interest of the the millennial and gen z's right
2: yeah that's right and so and so they get to shape the character of the congregation and this beautiful congregation. They are, they have been so hospitable and welcoming, welcoming the kids. Cause, cause they know that the, tr- they knew that the track they were on was not up right. around for long. Right. Right. And they feel like they got a future.
1: Yeah. So, that, so, so in the, in the ministry model and we'll, we'll get back to the mistakes. Um, how do we, how do one of the mistakes is that we're just creating young adult ministries more like silos. How do we prevent that then?
2: Well, that's that, you know, what I love is when we invite young adults alongside us in mission, uh, the program is not, you know, we do at, at Woodland, we'll do a, you know, once a month, you know, we'll go do an activity of some kind, but that's the only young adult programming. It's everything else is, you know, once a month we, we feed the homeless at the church. So they come and are part of the whole team that does that. And, um, uh, they're in worship on Sundays, you know, as, as much as they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yes. But, but the guarantee is by taking the money, we would be paying a professional pastor and investing that in young people. There is a level of buy-in, even at the very little amount we're paying them. There's a level of buy-in and ownership that, uh, and it really keeps it from being siloed. They're not thinking, what are you doing for me? They're thinking, how are we going to help this church? And that, right. love that, that. I think, really is the key to de-siloing ministry.
1: Right. Yeah, I love that.
0: And I think for me, and the, the I would not compare myself to you in terms of revitalization work or study, but, but certainly in the, the models that I've looked at. I'm sorry, what's that?
2: Back is heavily in need of revitalization. They might yes. have to- <laughs> <laughs> They're reaching nobody right now. That's right. right.
0: But uh, certainly the models that I've looked at, this is definitely not a programmatic conversation that we're having. This is more of a, of a family sort of integrative model approach towards doing genuine soul work, genuine character development, genuine gift development uh, in where it's supposed to happen, in my opinion, and that's the local church. And um, I think, you know, certainly outside of the, the inability to grasp what that model may look like, there's also the fear of, you know, uh, replacement or the fear of being outshadowed, which we all know are ego type questions and conversations. So, in your experience to this point, outside of this, this one model that seems to be working well, how have you helped maybe some local churches, local pastors actually? get over the fear of integrating young people into their regular weekly worship services, ministries, letting them lead things, start things, innovate
2: things? Well, it's, uh, you have named it. It's a, it's a climb. Um, Because, you know, what happens is the people in my generation, we feel like we've got some competencies and we know how to do stuff. Right. And, why would we want to step aside to allow somebody who's not as experienced as we are come in or worse yet they're better than we are right i mean (laughs) (laughs) and so you all may remember this part of the book where we talk about numbers eight and in numbers eight this rule about the levites when you turn 50 as a levite you may no longer serve in the temple
1: that scared me. I got eight years left. <laughs> I got less than you, bro.
2: <laughs> but And it says, I love this. You may assist those who are serving in the temple, but you yourself no longer serve. The, what would happen to many of our churches that are, you know, high profile churches that are really struggling with succession and have had a number of, you know, gaffes in that process. If, if that leader had said at 50, all right, I'm stepping off the stage. I can assist the younger ones, but I'm no longer the person on the stage. But once it gets to 65 or 70, it's mighty hard to find a replacement, right?
1: Yes, it it is. It's interesting. I've heard some statistics and I don't know exact numbers, but I know the groups that that we're connected to here, um, the average age of most pastors is over the age of 60 at this point. Um, and it's almost Which it's is almost as like they're, they're they're not getting out of I had to say out of the way, but they 're not moving out of the way where young younger leaders can step into place. Is that a tension we can solve, or how can we how can we help that tension
2: well i, I think it's demographically just going to get solved because uh, when I was in seminary uh something like ninety percent of seminarians were going into church work mm. and now it's something like 45 percent it's that you know when they when they say what do you what are you planning to do when you get out of here so it's less than 50 percent and mm. so um um i've i've done the statistics and i'm pretty sure my generation is going to die before y'all's <laughs> I did the research so when we're dead we'll be out of the way right right and you know, sadly, there will be less, there will be less churches to fill. Um, and could it be that one of the reasons for that is because we have been waiting until the next generation is ready to mm-hmm. take, I mean, yeah. where are the cultivation um, conduits for young leaders to take on significant senior level re- leadership in a congregation? There's just just, there's very little other than just kind of grow up through the ranks, right? And so one the, the fifth mistake was, wait until they're ready. I mean, we've got a lot of churches that, you know, we got, we'll get a guy who's 25 supervising 50 people in a financial institution, and the treasurer will say, no, no, he doesn't have enough experience to be on the finance committee. <laughs> and And young adults just don't have a lot of patience for that. They're thinking, there are plenty of places in this town that can use my gifts. And if I have to sit in a pew for 20 years and maybe get to pass out a bulletin every now and then, um, that's not, you know, that's not where I want to play. So we got to give up uh, this sense that, that, I mean, the illusion that we're ever ready. Think about, I mean, right. We know how Jesus did with his disciples. Okay. Y'all go cast out some demons. Come out and tell me how it went. (laughs)
1: And sounds like so, a good time
2: the, the discipleship all happened on the way right yeah. in the process of doing ministry jesus didn't say hey y'all just let's hang out together and i'm really going to pour into you just we're just i'm going to pour into you and really help you grow uh, and no he said I'm, I'm gonna make you fishers come on here we go. let's make a difference and in that process is when discipleship happened. This whole content-driven discipleship seems really antithetical to Jesus' way of discipling. Jesus' way of discipling was to throw us into the deep end and say, I'm going to give you something impossible, and then come back. And once you realize how much you need me, <laughs> then we can talk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's some wisdom there, yeah, I think. Yeah,
2: it's good. It's good. And then the last mistake is just we give up too soon. We think, right. you know, most, most people think, you know, if I just have a purpose-driven youth ministry – If I just do it the way Doug said I should do it, it should work. And what we all realize is there's all kind of failure that comes in the transition translation of how that all works. And it doesn't mean the model is not accurate. It just means we have a way of doing ministry that is here's the model and it should work. I think we need to have a a vision that says, here's our laboratory. We're going to try some stuff. Most of it's not going to work, but what comes out of here is going to change the world. Right, There's are just a few laboratories for like the the Googleization, the Appleization of ministry, and most of the time we just we just want to plug people into these old kind of dying and dead forms, instead of saying can we create some uh, can we create some some wild opportunity for new stuff to come up, which means so, we got to be open to failure.
1: So so what would it take to get a laboratory here, at Lee Rob? nothing
0: we we
2: are the laboratory i think so all right what
1: are the what are the we we went through the mistakes um that i think everybody can recognize and say churches are making um what are the paradoxes that that you found in the research that can help us develop and grow these laboratories
2: well and i mean it's really interesting i mean scott and i of course had a lot of time on this and we thought okay what are the steps what are the principles what are the you know, what's the roadmap? what are the signposts? And what we eventually settled on was sort of aligned with the unpredictability of millennials that they are, they're sort of opposites at the same time. We decided we would say the solution side of this book is a list of paradoxes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'll just walk you through those real quick. The first one is just nice segue from where we were. We gotta be, we gotta succeed by being willing to fail. And our lack of willingness to fail is the thing that keeps our success so tiny. You Uh know, oh, we got 14 people to come to our our, uh, pizza party for young adults. Uh, But if we're willing to say, okay, we're gonna try something bold and ridiculous, and it may totally bomb. Um, But we gotta try a lot of stuff to find some stuff that works, right? so that's the first one is just that willingness to fail. And then um, the second one is, we sort of, we sort of hinted that already. We're going to focus on young adults by taking the focus off of young adults. <laughs> so, mm. so if we want to create a great young adult ministry, we're not creating young adult ministry. We're, we're focusing on a mission. We're focusing on the call of Jesus to change the world. We're focusing on something that's, that aligns with their call. And as a result, they're going to come alongside, and that's where the ministry happens. Then um, reaching old people by gathering more old, reaching young people by gathering more old people. uh, um, We've got to create a place. What I've been absolutely amazed with in, in our church, Woodland Presbyterian here in Nashville, what I've been absolutely amazed with is um, is how life-giving it has been for these older people to just have friends who are mm-hmm. young adults. I mean, and, I mean, as youth pastors, we think, oh, it's normal. Everybody knows Everybody knows young adults or everybody knows teenagers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Having teenagers that know your name and value your opinion or young adults that know your name, it's really life-giving. It, it's, it keeps us alive just a little bit longer. And so... Having having older adults who are willing to say we're not here just for ourselves, uh, we want to create a place that embraces the next generation. Pretty great. Then the next one is uh, reach young adults one at a time by creating a system to reach them all. <laughs> um, you know, there's this there's this really tired debate in youth ministry about programs versus relationships and. I'm a relational youth minister. I don't really care about administration. And, and, and you know, the, the truth is, again, my bias, um, what that usually means is um, I don't really, I don't care about doing things that require me to be organized. I'm going to be all about relationships, which means relationships with me, which means I'm going to have everything in the ministry circle around me sometimes relational ministry is just a code word for this whole thing's falling apart like a house of cards when i leave right yeah Uh, so the whole systems building systems that can you know keep people connected uh you know systems you know in in sustainable youth ministry we outline those systems and here in, in sustainable young adult ministry we. Really, are specifically named, sixteen or seventeen different systems that you want to have built in place. Then um, respond to a lack of commitment by asking for more. Um, <laughs> one of the things that that uh, that people say about millennials is, oh, they're so flaky. They, you know, they never commit to anything. Um, and the, and the truth is, we haven't given them something to to make a sacrifice for. I, I I got these, I get these incredible 10 young adults that wake up and are at a meeting at 8.45 every Sunday morning. One or two of them may stay out past nine o'clock at night on Saturday night. Uh, and <laughs> they, but they're there every, if they're in town, they're there. And um, the invitation to do something wonderful together um, is, I think, w- would you bring a half a dozen cookies to the? to the young adult gathering, that's not gonna inspire them. <laughs> uh, can you help us take care of the affordable housing problem in Nashville because we got thousands of people that can't afford a place to live anymore. They might get into that, right? Right. The last one is um, attract young adults to your your church by sending them away. Um, most, most churches, I mean, young adults are terribly transient. Um, and so we have just tried to make a, we've tried to make a habit, and even in our little our little church we're working with, of um, commissioning when when young adults leave town, we're going to commission them to their next thing. And they're not all going into ministry. Sometimes they're going into a graduate school or politics or something else. Coaching. We'll just. But at the end of the service, when when young adults leave us, we want to make sure to to make a point of this is a holding place. If you stay here forever, great, but it's a holding place for you to get grounded and we wanna rejoice and send you out. So those are the six mistakes, six paradoxes, Uh, again, principles, but part part of the reason we wrote the book was we feel like there's a lot out there about young adults. There's not a lot out there about young adult ministry. Mm. We got a lot of sociological studies about, you know, here's the problem here. They're not going to church, all the things. What we want to do is say, there's a a way to think about doing this. And, you know, the beauty of a smaller church, like you were describing, the beauty of a smaller church is, you know, you bring five young adults into a smaller church, it changes it dramatically, uh, just having them there. And they know they're making a big impact as opposed to, five more young adults and a sea of a thousand young adults that are listening to a great preacher.
1: Mm, yeah. So I guess, Mark, that's a lot of information. Like my, my brain is a swimming. I read the book and <laughs> the conversation even takes it deeper. Um, what's, what's the, the one, if you had one starting point for somebody who is either you doing young adult ministry, a pastor who's listening, who has a heart for young adults, besides buying the book, yeah, where which we really want them to buy the book, but where do they start? What's the first starting block for them? Uh,
2: I, I think the first starting block is to start having conversations with real live human young adults. Uh, y'all remember at the end of Ferris Bueller's day off and the principal, you know, all beat up, the principal gets onto the school bus. And one of the girls said to, says to him, I'll bet this is the, first time you smelled the inside of a school bus for a long time, right? We got to start smelling the inside of a school bus. Right. Yeah. Got, so it's, it's getting coffee. It's, you know, meeting, uh, you know, it could be young adults that are in the church. It could be folks that are related. Uh, but what we want to do is listen to the, the, the God has placed this call in every young adult's life. Listen for that call and uh, in our work with ministry incubators, um, my partner, Kenda and I have, uh, used the word, uh, our titles are permissionaries. Uh, we just think our job is to say, well, sure, why not? Let's try
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I bet.
2: And, uh, and so, um, the, I think the first step is building relationships with young adults. Don't, don't start a meeting. Don't send out a bunch of postcards. Um, at, so, Besides meeting with them, make a list of them, and you probably, you know, I, I'm making this up, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pass go or collect two hundred dollars until you have hundred people's names on that list. These are people you meet at uh, your baristas, These are people you uh, mm-hmm. you meet at the gym. Uh, get a hundred people's names on that list, and then start start listening. Uh, I think that's the place. Uh, that's that's just the place I go. Uh, And then see if you can find a mission that they are passionate about and then support them in their mission. We're going to assist them in doing the thing they were called to do rather than inviting them to come to our really compelling meetings with pizza and a 60 year old Waylon on an electric guitar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Mark, you have no idea how much we appreciate your time and um, just sort of the wisdom that you've been given us. And, you know, our our goal hopefully is to is to bridge a gap between between two conversations, those who are maybe sitting in that pastoral position who generally want a young adult ministry, a vibrant young adult expression, and the young adults who are actually wanting to be there. And so that was kind of the the reason why we we birthed this podcast. But um, part of that is being able to talk to both communities. So kind of a closing thought or question here. Um, as young adults are part of our audience, uh, what is the greatest thing that you learned in college outside of the classroom?
2: <laughs> I love that. Um, well, my life outside of the classroom, interesting uh, in light of what we've been talking about, my life outside of the classroom was serving as a youth pastor at this church. Um, so I was at, at Baylor University in Waco. And uh, I served at this this church as a youth pastor for three years, as, a, as an assistant youth pastor for three years. And then after that was the regular youth pastor. But uh, that community helped to shape and define. Uh, I mean, Susan and I were married there. Our first child was baptized there. Uh, that was a community that called out my gifts in ways that, I couldn't have gotten in a classroom. Hmm. I couldn't huh. have gotten reading a book. I, and if you'd have said to me, hey, how do you feel about hanging around with old people? I thought that's about the craziest idea I've ever heard. But that became a shaping, um, defining environment for me. And, um, and though I'm in a very different place now than I was then, whew, the greatest thing I learned in college is that I am I'm beloved and called and responsible for that call and all in a congregation all in a single church
1: that's amazing that's awesome good things come out of waco i think that's where the giglios came out (laughs) (laughs) of. so good things come out of the baylor folks so yeah uh, we're we're not baylor folks so but um we are extremely excited to have this conversation with you and have you on the podcast um so we we can't say thank you enough absolutely Um, so we are, I mean, when, when we first said Mark DeVries, you know, as someone on the list, I was excited because the, the youth ministry student me got all excited because I'd read all the books and, um, but as, yeah, exactly. yeah, well, they were mandatory for my classes, so I didn't have an option. Um, but I, I know Rob and I have such a huge heart for millennials, young adults, this local church, um. And so, this just helps us so much. Our, our conversation really started with how do we help young adults get back into church? Yeah. Um, and this answered a lot of questions for us, I think. And I hope it helped a lot of our listeners. And so, Absolutely. we can't say thank you enough for being on the show. And we are so grateful for your time and all that you're doing for the church and for um, ministry in general. So, yeah. thank you for being on. So go check out Mark DeVries and Ministry Architects. Good stuff. Yeah. Where else can we stay connected with you? Where else are you on?
2: Um, yeah, Mark at Ministry Architects is great or Ministry dot com. That's another place you can find us. Um yeah, and my cell number is six one five-424-2304. Uh you can <laughs> call me crazy. Um, but generally there's about one percent of people uh who will care and remember that. And uh those are people I want to talk to.
1: <laughs> awesome. I got one follow up question, on your Nashville guy. A favorite coffee shop in Nashville.
2: Well, um, I'm sure you guys know the well, yeah, yeah, so they do uh, things. The well is the the Christian social enterprise uh, that has grown out of uh, Otter Creek Church of Christ and Lipscomb and Rob Touchstone. just a yeah it's a beautiful place. and And now they're in all kinds of different locations. but doing, yeah, I mean, they are sort of a, a great example of young people having a vision for something that was not imposed on them, but sort of bubbled up. And Rob's a, Rob's a great example oh, of that.
1: Cool. Awesome. So next time we go to Nashville, the well, we're going to have well, to hit that up, hit up again. All right. If
2: awesome. if you have cell number, Just text me when you come in town and I'll buy your coffee.
1: That's, deal. that's a fair deal. <laughs> well, a fair deal. Fair deal. We'll probably be next week then I'm, I'm open next week. So Mark, thank you again. I, I'm excited. This was great stuff, Rob. What do you, what,
0: yeah. Thanks, Mark. And uh, we're looking forward to continuing the conversation. I doubt this will
1: be the last time we talk.
2: That'd be great. All, All right. Awesome. To you guys. Blessings to you. Thank
1: Bless you. Me. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Collective Code Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders?